If you've got a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20 is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to read a rather lengthy text. If you don't have it, it'll be on the screen behind me and you can follow along as we read together. But John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 23 together this morning. Picked up in verse 1 where John writes, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid Him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself." Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid Him. Having said this, they turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing Him to be the gardener, she said to Him, Sir, if you have carried Him away, tell me where you have laid Him, and I will take Him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that He has said these things to her. Now on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When He had said this, He showed them His hands and His side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent Me, even so I am sending you. And when He had said this, He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold the sins from any, it is withheld. Now, I know it might be a shock to some of you in the room this morning that on Easter Sunday, we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. But we are a Christian church that worships, honors, loves, and serves Jesus as God, Lord, and Savior. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to talk about His resurrection 
Because throughout the Bible, whether it be in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or the historic narrative of the early church in the book of Acts, or whether it be in the epistles or the letters that were written by the apostles Paul, or John, or Peter, or James, or even in the book of Revelation, the prophecy there at the end of the New Testament, all those writings speak of Jesus' resurrection as historical reality, as settled fact as something that actually happened. In fact, they speak of it as, is, as if it's the center of the story of the Bible as it unfolds. That Jesus would come to live in our place. That He would come to die in our place as our substitute. That He would rise from the grave and that He would ascend to the right hand of His Father where He'd be seated, His work of redemption accomplished, awaiting the day in which the Father would say, it's go time. And then He would return. Right? It's the very center of this true story of the world. Because before Christianity is a collection of moral principles, and before Christianity is a philosophy for life, and before Christianity is merely a collection of religious practices and procedures and rituals, it is the true story of the world. And at the center of that story is Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And all through the Bible, it's spoken of as historical fact. And that's what we believe here at Redeemer as well, that Jesus actually rose from the grave. So just to be clear on what we're talking about this morning, let me tell you what we're not talking about. Right? We're not talking about Jesus having a near-death experience. Okay? Where right, the paramedics rush in, they do CPR, they're pounding on his chest, right? they're charging the paddles, the defibrillator is ready to go, they shock his heart back into rhythm, and Jesus gasps and comes back. Right? He didn't have a near-death experience. We're also not talking about Jesus, uh, the, the spirit of Jesus kind of living on in the, the, the lives of his followers, like a, the legacy of a historic leader or a person would live on in the lives of those who would adhere to their teachings. That's not what we're talking about either. We're not talking about the resuscitation of Jesus as if he had died and been resuscitated only to die again like Lazarus, the only guy to ever die twice, right? We're not talking about the spiritualizing of the resurrection. So they say, hey, the, it doesn't really matter if it happened as long as you get the moral of the story. When Jesus got knocked down, he got up. And so when you get knocked down, you can get up again, right? That's not what we're talking about either. What we're talking about is Jesus actually rising from the grave. As one theologian, John Stott, said, he said, God performed a dramatic act by which he arrested the process of decay, decomposition, and corruption, rescued Jesus out of the realm of death, and transformed his body into a new vehicle for his personality so that he had a new power and was now immortal, never to die again. That is something new that never had happened before and has never yet happened since that's what we're talking about this morning Jesus rising from the dead and there may be some of you in this morning who have questions about that you have doubts about that maybe there's some skepticism on your part with regards to the resurrection and if that's you listen love to connect with you personally and talk through those objections or those doubts or that skepticism that you have. And I would point you back to previous Easter messages that I've preached on this, giving evidence for the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But that's not what we're going to spend our time doing this morning. What I want to talk to you about this morning, the time that we have together is this, is the resurrection is historical fact and reality, but what does it mean? And I want to show these two things from you from the text here in John that we just read together. What it means. Not, we're not going to spend the time defending that it happened, but what does it mean? And 
first thing that the resurrection of Jesus means is this, is that the risen Christ has an all-access pass to all of creation. That he can go anywhere. Now listen, I don't know if you've ever visited an athletic venue, a sports complex, or maybe you've been to governmental buildings, or maybe you've gone to a concert hall, right? And so maybe you go and you're watching a game at AT&T Stadium or at Globe Life Park, and you enjoy the, the, the... what's going on on the field and the concessions, but there are places that you are restricted from going, like the locker room, unless you have a media pass to go interview the players. Or if you go to a concert, right, there are places that you're restricted from going. There's bouncers set up there at the curtain to keep you from getting backstage to have access to the band. Or if you go tour the White House or the governmental complexes in Washington, D.C., you can see a lot of things, but they won't let you into the situation room without an access pass. Right? There are places that you are limited from accessing. Places that you can't go. Listen, unless you have a pass. And I want you to know that the risen Christ, the resurrection shows us, and John shows us that Jesus, He can go anywhere. He has an all-access pass to every corner of the earth, to all of creation. There are no longer boundaries. He's not bound by time and space. He's not bound by any other restriction or limitation that you and I may be bound by. Look at verse 19 that we just read together. In verse 19, it says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say Jesus walked up to the door and knocked. and Like, guys, you've got to let me in. It also doesn't say that Jesus walked up to the door with a tool bag, dropped it down, took out all of his pick tools, right, and got down. Listen to when he finally got the latch of the lock and put it over and went inside. It also doesn't say that he came with, a, with, a, with C4 charges and set them on the door and stepped the detonator and just blew the hinges off the thing. What's up, fellas? It doesn't say any of that. It said that they were locked, right? They were locked behind closed doors with, with locks to keep the people who would seek to do them harm outside. And he shows up in the middle of that room. And he, listen, he wasn't a ghost. He wasn't a spirit. He wasn't a specter. Okay? That's not the case. In fact, you read further down in the text in John chapter 20, and you see that Jesus invites Thomas, one of his disciples who doubted, to place his hand in Jesus' hand to feel the places where the nails had pierced him. And actually to take his hand, might gross you out, but gross you out a little bit, put it in his chest cavity where the spear had punctured him as he hung on the cross to confirm his death. That Jesus was a resurrected God-man with flesh and bone and blood coursing through his veins. Other gospel accounts talk about how he ate fish with the disciples. Right? A ghost doesn't eat. Right? So he's not a ghost and he just shows up in a place that was locked down where you had to know the secret password like a speakeasy, right? And Jesus just shows up in their midst. There he was. And I think that means at least three things for us. I'm going to give them to you. I think that means this, is that Jesus, Jesus, there's no places that He cannot access, there's no people that He cannot access, and there's no pockets of your life that He cannot access. First of all, there's no places that He can't access. Listen, there across the globe, there are places that are off limits to Christian missionaries. Some of you know that. There are closed countries. 
places that are hostile to the Christian faith. In fact, where you could be arrested and imprisoned for proselytizing, for sharing the faith of, of, of the truth about Jesus and inviting people to respond to him in faith. In places like North Korea, Afghanistan, and Somalia. But listen, Jesus is showing up in those places where, there, where he is off limits from among the people. It, there, he's, 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 he's bringing them out of their peoples and into his people. Right? Because he's not, though they've, they've set boundaries for Christian missionaries, Jesus has an all-access pass. And he can show up even places where he's not welcome, even places where he is restricted. Right? 2018, in a blog post hosted on the Gospel Coalition website, an author by the name of Darren Carlson, he cites an article published in Mission Frontiers magazine that indicated that out of 600 Muslim converts, largely coming from closed countries where Christianity is not welcome, out of these 600 Muslim converts to Christianity, 25% of them experienced some sort of dream or vision that led to their conversion. Now listen, he does acknowledge that for those who are working on the field with some of these Muslims, he does acknowledge the fact that some of them may not necessarily have dreams and visions, just crazy stories, okay, that they think are dreams and visions, or they heard somebody else recount a dream or vision, and they do so too to kind of get aid or protection from someplace. But for the legitimate conversions... From trusted sources that give story after story of men and women coming to faith in Jesus in these places that are hostile to Christianity, one such story comes out of Iran. And he recounts it in the blog post. He talks about a friend of his who heard this story from an Iranian pastor. He says this, listen, a friend of mine tells of a Persian migrant who arrived at a refugee center at 6 a.m. visibly upset. He told his story to a Persian pastor. He said, during the night... He saw someone dressed in white raise his hand and say, stand up and follow me. And the Persian man said, who are you? And the man in white replied, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the way to heaven. No one can go to the Father except through me. And so he began to ask the Persian pastor, who is he? What am I going to do? Why did he ask me to follow him? How shall I go? Tell me, tell me, in desperation. And the pastor responds by pulling out his Bible, and he asks, have you seen this before? And the man says, no. Do you know what it is? And the man says, no. And the pastor opened to the book of Revelation, and he began to read, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end and he says the man began to weep and as he cried he said how can I follow him how can I receive him so the pastor led him in prayer and spoke with him about Jesus and a peace came over him and the pastor gave the man a Bible and he told him to hide it since the Muslims in the camp and the refugee camp could cause him trouble but the man replied the Jesus that I met today he's more powerful than the Muslims in the camp and so he left, and an hour later, he brought back ten more Persians and told the pastor, these people want a Bible too. See, even places where Jesus is not welcome, he has an all-access pass. He can access the most difficult of places. But I want to let you know, he can also access all kinds of people. All kinds of people. And listen, I'm living proof. I'm living proof. Listen, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up going to church. I didn't grow up hearing Bible stories. I didn't grow up in Bible school. I didn't grow up in Sunday school. I didn't grow up going to camp. I didn't grow up with Christian parents who even pray with us at the dinner table, right? There's not even a hint or whiff of cultural Christianity in my home. And so if you'd have looked at me as a child and even into my high school years, you'd have said, that dude 
is the lowest on the rung of candidates to ever become a Christian, much less a pastor. Right? He has no Christian influence in his life. But you know what? God met me. Jesus met me through a friend on the cross-country team that I ran with in high school who began to invite me time and time and time and time again to come to his church. In fact, he eventually showed up with his friends and said, listen, you don't have an option. You're coming tonight. And when I showed up at the church, it was the very first time that I'd ever heard the gospel. Growing up in the South, I'd heard about Jesus. It's hard not to in the South, but I'd never heard the gospel, that I was a sinner separated from God, but that God had made a way for me to know Him through the sending of His Son, who lived and died in my place and rose from the grave, and that through faith in Him, that I could have a relationship with God as my Father. And that night... I couldn't have told you then what was going on, but that night, all I knew was I needed what this guy's talking about. And listen, he was country as could be. In fact, his name was Bubba. All right? It's about as country as they come. But listen, when everyone else went to play basketball, which is the reason why I went there in the first place, I stayed behind and we prayed together and he shared with me more about Jesus and he began to disciple me and teach me and instruct me. Listen, I'm living proof that there's no person that God cannot reach, that Jesus does not have access to. And what that means for some of us in the room this morning is this, is there are people in your life that you've given up on. Some of you have family that you've given up on. Some of you have friends that you've given up on. Some of you have given up on your children or your parents. And listen, I want you to know this morning that because Jesus is risen from the grave, there is no person that He cannot reach. There is no situation that He cannot reach into. But I also want you to know there's no pocket of your life that he doesn't have access to. There's no pocket of your heart, there's no pocket of your life that he does not have access to. He's not able to access. Listen, he can reach deeper into your life than your therapist. Do you know that? Some all for counseling. I've benefited from it myself. But I want you to know that he can reach into corners of your heart that your counselor, your therapist can't touch. He can bring a fuller, fuller healing than your physician can bring in your life. And I'm all for physicians and doctors. Listen, He can satisfy you more deeply than the most intimate of human relationships. Because He, he can meet you in those places where you've granted no one else access. He is able to access the trauma of your childhood. Listen, the betrayal of trust that you experienced. He's able to access that. He's able to meet you in the emotional, psychological, and sometimes physical scars that you still bear from things that were said or done to you in your childhood. He can meet you in the pain of a failed marriage, of a broken relationship, the heartache of wayward children. In fact, He can meet you in the pain and devastation of having to pick out a casket for your kid. Meet you in those places that no one else can touch. He can meet you in the void left by a drug addicted mother or by an abusive or absent father. He can meet you in those places. Those places that you've locked everyone else out of. Out of fear of reliving the pain. He's able to meet you there, church. Because there's no place that He cannot access. No door that has enough locks 
that is barred. He has an all-access pass. And listen, I want you to know something. He meets us most frequently in the places of our fear. That's where he meets us. Look back at the text. They were in a locked room for fear of the Jews. The disciples were huddled, terrified of what might be done to them by the Jewish opposition because they had just crucified. The Romans had just crucified their Lord. And perhaps I remember Jesus saying something like this in John chapter 15, right? That if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Listen, they were huddled in fear. I don't know about you, but I find that the places in which Jesus shows up most powerfully in my life is in the places where I'm most terrified, which I'm most afraid. He has an all-access pass. But whenever he shows up in closed countries, when he shows up to closed hearts, when he shows up in the locked rooms or pockets of our lives, I want you to know that he brings something with him. He brings peace. He brings peace. Listen, Jesus, the text tells us Jesus came and stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. And that peace that Jesus brings is at least threefold. We're going to hit them quick this morning. First of all, it's a peace that is vertical. The vertical peace that Jesus brings. The risen Christ Listen, in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says it this way, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a vertical peace, this peace with God, this reconciliation that we now have with Him because of Jesus. Because we were all born as rebels with a cause. You know that? We were all born, but we had a cause. And here's what our cause was this, was to be our own God, to call our own shots, to manage our own lives, to determine our own destinies. We came out of the womb with hearts that were broken and bent towards sin and selfishness. And from the earliest of ages, listen, here's what we did. We loaded ammunition and we fired shot after shot after shot after shot at God. We started a war with Him. And as a result, we're told that we're, those who were created in the image of God, we find ourselves estranged or separated from Him. Paul says it this way in Colossians 1.21, And you who were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So you were separated from God, and your mind was hostile towards Him. You resisted Him at every turn, around every corner. And as a result, you did things that were evil, he says, evil deeds. Or in Ephesians 2.3, where Paul says, We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were subject to God's just anger against sin. And that apart from grace, that we're cut off from God and destined to live lives that would one day end in our eternal destruction. So when it comes to peace vertically, to have this cut-offness, this separation, this estrangement from God healed, there's only two ways that you can go about it. One, you can try to produce it. Or two, you can just enter into it. You can try to produce it for yourself by your own work, right? This is what many people do. They think that if they can be good enough, they can be smart enough and doggone it, if enough people could just like them, they would be good. And God would like them as well. Right? You could try to produce it, 
or you can enter into it. Listen, D.L. Moody, great evangelist, said it this way. He said, a great many people are trying to make peace, but that's already been done. God has not left it for us to do. All we have to do is enter into it. That by faith in Jesus, we're able to enter into the peace that God's provided for us. To have that estrangement between us and Him, that separation between us and Him, reconciled so that we no longer, He's no longer a judge who's ruling over our life with the sentence of condemnation, but now He's a Father that embraces us as He reconciles us and we know His loving heart in our lives. And so He's peace vertically that He makes for us. For all who would trust in Him. But it's also a, not only peace vertically, but also peace internally. There's an internal peace. Paul writes about it in Philippians chapter 4 when he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says it's an internal peace that you're able to Experience that the risen Christ brings when he says, Peace be with you. And in Philippians 4, Paul commands us not to be anxious. Here's why because anxiety is the absolute opposite of peace. Oftentimes in the Bible, the word peace means this wholeness or flourishing. That you're stitched together. But you know what the word anxiety literally means? That you're divided, that you're torn apart. And isn't that what it's like to experience anxiety? Those of you who have experience with anxiety, like me, you feel like you're just being shredded to pieces. You feel like you're being torn apart. You feel like your attention's being divided. Your affections are being divided. Your loves and loyalties are being divided. They're being torn in different places, in different segments. And Paul says, don't be anxious. But rather, lift your request to God and enjoy His peace, the peace that the risen Christ brings as He puts you back together internally. Because what, the, what, what, what living in a fallen world will do is it will, it will shred you to pieces. And the peace, the internal peace that God brings is able to put you back together. So Paul's saying, listen, he's saying literally this, don't let death or disease take you to pieces. Don't let someone else's sin and selfishness tear you into pieces. Don't let your marital status tear you into pieces. Don't let sin, sickness or suffering tear you into pieces. A turbulent past, a stormy present, or a cloudy future. Don't let that tear you into pieces, but know the peace that the risen Christ brings by finding refuge in Him. By running and fleeing to Him. By clinging to Him is the object of your hope in the midst of any hopeless situation. Not only is this peace that the risen Christ brings vertical, reconciling us to God, internal, putting us back together, but it's also horizontal. It spills over into the relationships of our lives. In Romans 12, 18, we're told if it possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And again, Hebrews 12, 14, strive for peace with everyone. See, this internal peace that we have as God puts us back together, it brings an external stability in our lives. 
or an external harmony in our lives, in our other relationships. If you think of the internal peace that Christ affords, I don't know if you, how many of you drove across Lake Ray Hubbard a few days ago when the wind was blowing about 40 miles an hour straight out across the lake. And as you drove across the I-30 bridge, what you saw was like the Galveston Bay is what it looked like out there, okay? The waves were just rolling and white capping, okay? But that's on one side. The wind was coming out of the north, and so that northern side of the bridge was just rocking. But on the south side of the bridge, where all the rocks are piled up, you know what was there? Calm, tranquil waters. The wind's still blowing. It didn't stop blowing, but there was a windbreak there. And that's the kind of internal peace that Christ affords when we find refuge in Him, when we shelter behind Him, and no matter what situation we find ourselves in life, the risen Christ affords that peace. And as we enjoy that internal peace, what happens is it spills over into our relational realities as relational harmonies. Listen, have you ever listened to a beautiful piece of music? And a beautiful piece of music where there are two voices that are singing together. And when they're singing on pitch and in tune, right, they're hitting the notes, their voices are rising and falling together in unison. It creates a beautiful harmony that is pleasing to the ears, doesn't it? But whenever you have two voices that are trying to outshine each other, right, they're competing with each other, right, I'm going to show them. They're not complimenting each other. They're competing with each other. What happens? Right? At times, you got one hitting a note that they had no business trying to hit in that, in that moment because probably their voice isn't capable of hitting that note, but they're going to try and show off and impress because they're about themselves. And you got the other trying to hit a note to show off and impress because they're about themselves, and it just sounds, I'll be nice, really bad. Atrocious. Okay, And listen, the relational peace that spills over into our lives, into the relational realities of our lives, it brings us into that kind of harmony that God intends for His people. So that we're not screeching, but we're harmonizing with each other. And I wonder how many of us right now have broken and strained relationships in our lives because there's no internal peace we're not sheltering behind the windbreak of the risen Christ who has ascended above every situation or circumstance that you might find yourself in to bring you internal peace and put you back together and you're not taking refuge in the risen Christ who's brought vertical peace in your life and and, and has done away with the this hostility who's done away with the hostility in mind that you had toward God and the evil deeds, that you were alienated from Him but have reconciled you to Him. Because what you see downstream from that is just the symptoms in your life. The relational brokenness in your life is just a symptom of something further upstream. And it may be that there's no internal peace because you're not sheltering behind that windbreak and it may be that there's no vertical peace between you and God because you've been trying to produce it yourself and not just resting and entering into what He's already provided for you by placing your trust, listen, in the one who was torn to pieces on your behalf. 
That's how you enter into this. That's how you enjoy this kind of peace that the risen Christ brings. When he shows up, access those pockets of your life to make you whole, to bring healing. And listen, let me just be real clear what I mean by that. He's not going to rubber stamp all the things, bad things that you did in your life, all the bad things that took place in your life. It's not what he's going to do. Nor is he going to just erase that, right? Remember old VCR cassette tapes? Right, where you just put it in and wipe it out and write over it? It's not what he does, right? He doesn't erase your history. There's still going to be some shrapnel in your life on account of sin that was done to you and sin that was done by you in your past. But whenever you come to him, you know what he becomes whenever those things, those pieces of shrapnel begin to hurt? Like the older I get, like when the weather changes, things start to ache a little. That's going to happen as you go through seasons of life because you have an enemy who's still attacking you and wants to bring up all of the things that have happened to you and all the things that you've made happen to others in your life. But when those come up, what you have now is you have a place to run for refuge and protection, someone to bring wholeness and healing in your life. And I wonder how many of us or just seeing the symptoms of brokenness in our relationships because we're sources of drama in relationships because we don't really have a sense of internal peace. All right? No worries. No problem. And we're also, we're also striving to impress God and impress others because we haven't really been reconciled to Him. So how do we, how do we take that step? Listen. I'm going to close with this. What you, if that's you this morning, what you need to do is you need to receive the Holy Spirit by trusting in the risen Christ. See, earlier in John's Gospel, we're told that the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. And in fact, here, whenever Jesus says, He breathes on them, I think it's a kind of a living pair parable that he he does here right he breathes his breath saying when the holy spirit comes and you receive the holy spirit my very life will be breathed into you even as the father in creation god in creation takes dust of the he forms it and he breathes into it and he brings physical life to our first parents in the garden so also the son when he says new life is coming to you he breathes It says, receive my life as it enters into you in the person of the Holy Spirit. When He comes, you receive Him. You receive Him, but the way that you receive Him is by trusting in the Son who was crucified and resurrected for you. And without trusting in the Son who lived in your place and was torn to pieces for you, that He was crushed for your iniquities, that the chastisement, as Isaiah says, was upon him that brought us what? Peace. Until you trust in him, you will never receive his life into you. Until you give up control, until you relinquish the reins, until you let go of the wheel. And stop trying to produce peace in your life through all that you can achieve and accomplish. You know what it is? That is a spiritual hamster wheel. Because it will never be enough. But when you let go of it, 
you rest in what the risen Christ has done. And you trust him. And you yield to him. And you submit your life to him. And by faith, you're made right with God. Then he begins the process of putting you back together internally, which then flows downstream into the relational realities of your life. You begin to see healing of the brokenness that once haunted you. Receive the Holy Spirit by trusting in the risen Christ. Some of you are like, maybe thinking to yourself right now, my heart has been so hard toward God, toward His Word, toward His ways. But the good news of the resurrection is, no matter how far you've run, no matter how far you've hardened yourself against God's Word and against God's ways, there's no place that he cannot access you. And for some of you, he may have brought you here this morning to hear that very word. He may have brought prodigals in the church on Easter Sunday because it's expected to hear that because Christ is raised, they can have peace with God, peace with themselves, and peace with with others, if they would but trust in Him. I want to pray for us to that end this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, today, we ask, I ask humbly, God, that Your peace would be manifest in this place and upon us as Your people. For those whose hearts are cold and hard towards You, for whom church is an Easter and Christmas expectation. Father, I, I just ask that you would meet them where they are right now. That their hearts are hardened towards you because of the circumstances of their life. That they want nothing to do with you because of the situations that they've experienced. Father, I ask that in the same way that your son showed up in a locked room where he, where he was restricted from access, that he would swipe the badge and that he would come in and that he would invade and that he would bring with him the blessing of peace bestowed upon those lives that are shattered and torn and ripped. Father, I trust that you brought some here this morning to hear that. And for them, I pray that they would turn to your Son. They would repent of sin. They would trust in Jesus as their Savior and as their Lord. And they would receive the Holy Spirit who's able to bear in their lives the fruit of peace And Father, for those who do know You, for those who have walked with You for many years, but perhaps there are still pockets of their life that they've never let anyone into. I ask this morning that by Your Spirit, Your Son would access those areas they've been afraid to share with anyone. and would just minister to them there.
pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.